Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Pacing the Pacers podcast. This is Nat Newell, Indy Stars Pacers editor. I'm here, of course, with James Boyd, our Pacers insider. Uh, season is over. I think we can all say thankfully, given the 25 wins and everything else. Um, they were exit interviews on Monday. James was stuck in uh, yet another travel uh, situation, so he yep. did not get to listen to all of them, but was certainly paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um but let's uh, let's start with uh, the biggest, or I guess not the biggest, but the most immediate news, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers' first-round draft pick. Uh, just sort of break it down where the Cavs are at and what has to happen for the Pacers to get that pick. Yeah, so the Cavs are in the play-in tournament. They lost to Brooklyn, so they still have one more chance, basically. They have one more chance to officially make the playoffs. They'll face the winner of Charlotte or Atlanta for the final and eighth you know, playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And basically, if they get in, the Pacers will get their first-round pick, which will be the 16th overall pick, which is a good pick. And if they don't, it carries over into next season, go through the whole cycle again. If the you know Cavs make the playoffs, the Pacers get their 2023 first-round pick. If not, then it translates into two second-round picks for next season. So I think the most immediate thing people need to be paying attention to if you're a Pacers fan is watching the Cavs and really cheering them on and hoping that <laughs> they can win. And, and everyone's asked me this on Twitter. You're like – Man, like, why would the Pacers make this trade? It's a horrible trade. You know, you could end up with, you know, two second rounders, but that's, like, way off in the future. When the trade was made, the, I believe the Cavs were, like, a half game back of first place in the Eastern they were the Conference. Four seed, but they were right there. Yep. Yeah. And then a bunch of unfortunate injuries have happened. I mean, Jared Allen, their all star center, has, has got a finger thing that he's trying to come back from. He should be able to play, I believe, in Friday's, like, second, you know, basically winner take all. Um, playing game and then you got injuries to Evan Mobley for a little bit and you got guys who are you know contributors to the team missing time and they just had a really really bad like stretch of injury you know misfortune so to everyone freaking out I think the Pacers front office is dumb it's like eh, not really the likelihood of them missing the playoffs this year and next year I believe is still pretty slim and then obviously if it does happen you still end up with two second round picks not ideal but Everyone kind of relax and just watch, you know, Friday's game. And if it behooves you, you can watch Wednesday's game between Charlotte and Atlanta. I personally think that Atlanta will win. And Atlanta's probably the scarier competition just because if they play each other, Trey Young's probably the best player on the floor. But we'll see. But I do think that it's something to keep an eye on because obviously it would be much better to have a draft pick this year, have all of your draft capital, know what you're going to do, and then go from there. Because you're going to most likely have a top five, um, you know, top seven pick, if anything. I mean, you could drop to nine, which would just be horrible. But, I mean, you're going to have a, a top-tier pick, and you're going to have a really good pick, and, you know, obviously with the 16th overall pick, and then you're going to have a, a, a second-round pick with 31st overall from Houston. So these are all good things to keep in mind, but obviously you need Darius Garland and the Cavs to get the job done. I think, I mean, number one, the 16th, getting the 16th pick is a almost, I mean, I think 15th is the highest non-lottery pick. Mm-hmm. So you would rather get the pick this year than next Absolutely. year when I would think it's going to be in the 20s. More. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it was 24 when they made the trade. It was something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, I mean, I guess the other thing to me is number one, the this is a pretty standard thing in yes. trades. I don't think all trades are like this, mm-hmm. but there are lots of trades that are first round pick, first round pick, mm-hmm. two second round picks, and lottery protected as well. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing to me is if at the time you had said they're trading Karis Levert, they're getting the top pick in the second round. Um, I mean, again, do I want the first round pick? Absolutely. But you're also losing a year of Levert's salary. Mm-hmm. That's $20 million they can spend in free agency in this offseason that if they had not made the trade, they could not. And I think that $20 million in free agency is more valuable than Karis Levert as the Pacers are currently constructed. So while, again, I get it, I understand, yeah, I would rather have the first round pick right now, especially since if they do, I mean, you can combine whatever their pick is with that pick, maybe trade up. Mm -hmm. But maybe you can do that next year, too, if you get the first round. Mm -hmm. Or you have maybe, I mean, again, who knows what's going to happen next year. But even if you're not in the lottery, if you have a – if you're if they sneak into the playoffs next year, you have two mid-range first-round picks. Maybe you can move up and get a better player at that mm-hmm. point. So, well, again, I, I get why people are upset. I think it's I, I don't think they're seeing the big picture on the possibilities there. No, it's always a little nearsighted. You hear one thing, but you don't think about the entire piece of the pie, which is really the story of this offseason for the Pacers. I mean, this is a, one of the biggest offseasons in of franchise history. Um, probably the biggest one since I've been alive as a 26-year-old. So, I mean, these are things that are that are really going to factor into the future. And we can kind of pivot now and talk about some other moves on the team. Um, one thing to keep in mind, uh, at least for me personally, I think Jalen Smith is 99.9% gone. Um, not because he's not loyal to the Pacers for giving him a chance to play pretty good minutes, but with the production he had, shooting 37% from three-point three range, um, showing some versatility on the offensive end, rebounding pretty well um, as a you know second year player he's gonna get very good money he's only like 21 or 22 years old so I'm sorry Pacers fans but this was a good little trial run during the season that you, obviously there weren't any many games but for him it was basically like the greatest job interview ever because he got <laughs> a chance to just play a bunch of minutes on a team that isn't winning much and show individually what he could do and now, I mean, we've talked about this. The Pacers only offer him because of this weird rookie deal thing, $4.5 million. Now, the league might change this rule because it is kind of unfair to trade for a guy. And in theory, the, the, the team that didn't pick up his rookie you know, option after his third year, the Suns could come right back and offer him more money. This offseason and get him right back, which is crazy to think about. I don't think he'll go to the Suns. But my point is, I think for him personally, it's not about loyalty. It's not about even maybe it's necessarily like fit. It's, it's all about security. If you can get three years, 30 million, as opposed to one year, 4.5 million with the Pacers, it's a no brainer to take this, the, the, obviously the, the, the former option I just mentioned. Yeah. And again, just to, you know, make it spell out the deal. If you only six players in NBA history, now this doesn't go back too far, but only six players in NBA history have had their third year option declined by the team. Mm-hmm. What it means is basically every, every rookie gets a, contract that has team options after the second year you're guaranteed the two years and then after that the team can can uh, decide to pick up the options or not mm-hmm. the amount of money is so little that it's almost guaranteed that you're going to yeah. keep the player mm-hmm. so what it really says when the i think it was something to do with get finding money for deandre ayton and things like that but what it really says is the team has declared you a complete bust after one year mm-hmm. so it's a big i mean it's shocking to see that happen mm-hmm. because of that rule 
the team that has his contract can only offer him the value of that option year, which was $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. So that's all the Pacers can o- offer him. So any other team in the league, I can't imagine him not getting – Multiple years at at least twice that. Yeah. I mean, I went and looked it up. The number of 21-year-old players who averaged 11 points, five rebounds, shot 35% from three um, at six, eight or more. I mean, you're talking Richard Lewis. You're talking DeMontis Sabonis. You're talking Paul George. You're talking Miles Turner. There were a couple other more pure center types on there. I can't remember who else I had mm. on the list. Uh, I don't know that Jalen Smith is as good as any of those guys. I know for a fact he's not as good probably as all those guys. But it tells you that roughly what his season was worth. All those guys put up those numbers at 21. They weren't in a contract year, so he's not going to get what those guys got. Right. I do think the rule needs to change so that the team that declines the option cannot bid more than that. But if you trade him, the team that he's traded to should still be be able, like any other team. He's a free agent. It's not hurting him at all. He's still going to be a free right. agent, uh, unrestricted free agent. If the team that traded for him wants to pay, be able to compete for that, they should be able to. It seems like to me. I'm sure this was just no one anticipated something like this happening. And I would guess the rule would change, but it won't be in time to help the Pacers out. No, <laughs> not at all. And then speaking of other news, I think that going into this offseason, you have to look at extending Miles Turner. Um, I know that that might not be something Pacers fans want to hear right away, but the way the NBA works, you don't want to go into a contract year with this guy and basically risk him walking for nothing. I do think that since you made this a bonus trade, and that basically tells me you were confident enough in Miles Turner to keep him around. Um, obviously, that kind of changes things when he gets a foot injury with the stress reaction. He didn't play the rest of the season or uh, for a large portion of the season, but I do believe if you have his medicals, you believe he's healthy. Everyone's telling me he's done in practices and stuff like that. He could have come back. Um, that's what Rick Carlisle said at first, and he kind of backpedaled a little bit and said he couldn't have come back. Whatever you want to kind of decide, the point is, I think after moving a two-time All-Star into Monte Simonis and, and basically handing your, your front court to Miles Turner, you have to extend him and, and show that commitment, mainly because – I don't know if he'll make the jump to being a, a star all-star player. I don't personally, I don't really think so. However, um, the grass is not always greener. Like I, I get it. Miles Turner can be frustrating at times with the way he talks about his play and the way he does play. However, there aren't too many guys who can do what he does. I mean, he is a very, very good rim protector. He's a pretty good three point shooter for his size. Um, he has some mobility. He has some switchability on defense. Like he isn't a liability when it comes to guarding, you know, perimeter players when he is switched out and asked to do so. Um, so that's something to keep in mind going forward. And I do think that pr- that'll probably happen. I know I don't think that the talks can happen just yet. But when the time comes, I do expect the Pacers to extend him and get that out of the way. But the next part, Nat, is, is what you can kind of touch on a little bit, and w- which is, I mean, I looked at Twitter and my engagement on this. I didn't even write this article. I believe it was maybe Matt. Uh, uh, Matthew wrote it, yeah. Yeah, about this, this, this pseudo Russell Westbrook trade, which isn't in like, you know. This- no one has said the Pacers are looking to Thank trade for you. Michael, for, for, West, uh, for Westbrook, yeah. Um, let, me get, let me hit Turner real quick. The thing that sticks out to me is, I mean, the, 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 I don't know if it was a report or rumor. I wish I could remember where I saw this. But a while back, someone said the Pacers would move Turner for a lottery-protected first-round pick. And I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, this is Michael Scotto from USA yeah, Today. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. That was where I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I that seems like undervaluing him because, mm-hmm. I mean, a, not, a mid, I mean, I know people love to talk about getting lots of first-round picks, mm-hmm. 
But these, whatever it is, the 15th, 16th, 17th pick in the draft, it's probably less than 50-50 you're getting a player, yeah. and you know exactly what Miles Turner is. The yeah. only reason I can see dealing Turner is because of all the crazy stuff he did on Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram about the Lakers and the one, playing one second at the end. If you don't want to put up with that, if you think that's going to be a problem – Okay, then I can mm-hmm. see trading him. Again, let me be clear. We have no idea if that's how the Pacers feel about right. him or not. But that's the only reason to trade him because he mm-hmm. – I mean, look at what their defense was without him. They were terrible defensively The most of, after he went out. They weren't great with him, but they were even oh, worse without yeah, him. They gave up 130 points pretty much just every game and 40-point first quarters pretty much every game. I and, mean. and then we get into how much is he going to want. And mm-hmm. his, I mean, he signed a very reasonable – he's at like $18 million a year mm-hmm. now for the last – This will, next year is the fourth of four years. I imagine they're going to have to pay more than that to keep him. Yeah. But – you know, he was a bargain. I mean, again, I know he's a polarizing figure, but when he can, when he's on the court, if he's going to play 75 games, 18 million was a steal for Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. But um, all right, we can get on to the Westbrook stuff again. This was first <laughs> suggested on a the first time I heard it anyway. It was first suggested by Zach Lowe, yes, from ESPN on a podcast he did, um, and then uh, Sham Sharania from the Athletic. Had a story that I think has not been fully, you know, accurately quoted. He said, opposing executives said Westbrook could end up with the Pacers. That's not right. the Pacers saying it. That's not the Lakers. Now, again, it could, I guess it could be the Lakers feed and Shams information. Who knows? But it's not. by If you read what he says, he's not saying the Pacers are going to trade for Westbrook. And the deal that Zach Lowe threw out there was Brogdon, Heald, and then the, I think it was the 20, 2027 and 2029 Laker picks. Um, so, hey, it's the offseason. We're going to spend probably more time on this than it deserves, which is probably not much, but it's a <laughs> fabulous to- topic to talk about. Where do you co- I mean, where do you come down on adding Westbrook? No, no, it won't, it won't happen. I would tell Pacers fans to relax, mainly because you have to think about what that says to your current players. If you trade for Westbrook and you get rid of Buddy Heald and you get rid of Malcolm Brogdon, um, you're basically saying we want to have another bad season um, and we're going to get another top draft pick. But what does that do to Tyrese Halliburton? You know, he's, he's good friends with Buddy Heald. Um, he, he's, he's said, at least publicly, he likes playing with Malcolm Brogdon. I don't think he's lying. I mean, I think he does in, enjoy it when they have played together. Um, and in my opinion, you kind of want to see what the group can do with – if you're going to bring Malcolm back, Malcolm, Tyrese, Miles, all these guys healthy, plus potentially a top five pick. So I don't think that they will trade for Russell Westbrook, who is a ball-dominant player, take the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands at times to, to basically for a guy who, quite frankly, is one of the worst like NBA contracts like compared to where he is as a player in the league. Like, I'm not saying Westbrook is the worst player in the league or one of the worst, but, like, compared to his contract, he's a, you do not really want him leading your team because it doesn't lead to winning basketball, frankly. So, um, in my opinion, I don't think that they would make that move because, again, Westbrook is at this point in his career where he's kind of become the black sheep of the NBA, you know. It, do, people don't really want him outside of what it presents from a contract perspective of getting off, you know, a bunch of money. But playing um, – I don't think that you really want to bring him in alongside Halliburton. And another thing is, would the Pacers buy him out? I do not think that the Pacers would buy out his $47 million, whatever it is he's owed. Um, in theory, it sounds nice, but 
I just cannot picture Herb Simon paying a guy $47 million not to play. Um, also because, you know, he was one of the guys early in the season saying, you know, I love my team. I don't want to, you know, tank. I don't want to do any of this stuff. And I do believe after taking a really big step back this year, getting a top five pick, getting a healthier team on the floor, um, which is always like up in the air with the Pacers. But if it's in theory, if that's what you want, then in his mind and in everyone's mind, you should be thinking, okay, this team could be good enough to make a play-in game. Like it's no longer the playoffs. Basically, if you're a top 10 team, you got a chance to be in the, play, be in the playoffs, be in postseason play at some point. And I think that if that's the case, you do not want to trade for Russell Westbrook because that's going to stunt your growth and, and basically set you back until those whatever 2027, 2029 picks come around. And if you think about that, that's, that's, that's six, seven years. Like that's a long time. Yeah, I will play devil's advocate here. I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Mm. The case for Russell Westbrook is, number one, single-handedly, he can get you to 500, I think. That's basically what he did with the Wizards last mm. year. I mean, they, they, they made the playoffs with West, because of mm -hmm. Westbrook. I don't disagree with anything you say about the development of the other teams, things like that. Mm. Um, but, and I, he's a guy who can take you from 25 wins to 42 wins. He is not a guy who's going to take you from 42 wins to 57 wins. Mm. But I think he can elevate you to an average NBA team, assuming he's healthy and everything else. Um, the other benefit is, yes, it's $47 million, which is obviously a ridiculous sum of money, Not, but you're worth what they're going to pay you. I'm not complaining about NBA salaries. Um, but it's only one year, and it's the same money that you would have paid or close to the same money that you would have paid Brogdon and Heald. Mm -hmm. So the money to me is kind of a wash um, either way. Um, you then get the money that you've agreed. It's $20 million for two, year, two more years or three more years on Brogdon. It's $20 million for two more years or one more year on Heald. Mm -hmm. You get that money off the, your cap after this following season. Again, you know, the Pacers' free agent history under Kevin Pritchard is actually pretty good. Um, but you're still – I mean, I did a story several years ago ranking mm -hmm. every free agent the Pacers had ever signed. David West is still number one. Um, you know, but then it's a bunch of guys that Pritchard has signed, but it's Bojan Bogdanovic, mm -hmm. it's Darren Collison, it's guys mm -hmm. like that. Good, solid NBA players, but they're not – you're gonna yeah, take you over. David the top. West is coming off a knee injury, so it's not. And right. that's the reason he came, he came here. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, and again, I mean, Michael Williams, who I'm sure James has never heard of, was like way high on that list. A nice little point guard in the early '90s for the Pacers, um, who uh, played a couple of years, could play, and was an early part. They traded him, and and but he went on. But but again, I'm mentioning Michael Williams, who probably five percent or ten percent of the people listening to this podcast have heard, <laughs> is like fifth on the list of Pacers free agents. So that just tells you just where he's at, mm -hmm. um, where the free agents at. So again, I, I'm not a. I mean, I think you if that's the offer. And where are the Lakers going to be in 27, 29? Those, oh, not, they're going to be bad. I'm not opinion. saying those, those yeah. picks could be worth something. Yeah. As long as they're not lottery protected, then I, you know, I think you've got to think about it. But I, it doesn't seem like a pacer move to me. No, I, I, just, I, just, I understand what you're saying about Westbrook getting you to the playoffs. But I do believe that the teams he's done that on, he's been – the main focal point. And again, you got Tyrese and, Halliburton here. And he would have to be the main focal point here. And again, exactly. I agree and with I you. I just and don't it, think that's going to happen. And quite frankly, Tyrese has earned the right, in my opinion, to really be looked at as a lead guard. Because, I mean, you look at his numbers, because he's come to the Pacers, um, all of them are up, and his efficiency is the same. He's shooting 50% on from the field, 40% from the three-point line, 8% at the, at, the at the free throw line, which is 
great numbers considering that he doesn't shoot a lot of layups. Like I've noticed that he doesn't really get to the rim very much. Um, he shoots a lot of floaters and things like that. So for a guy to shoot basically 49, 50% from the field without any layups um, and, and is, is really impressive. And I do think that that, you know, is, is more um, and, and, you know, pertinent for your future than trying to get off, you know, a bunch of money. Um, and again, we'll see what happens. It's not like it's an impossible thing. But if I had to bet or something like that, I would say that they are not going to, um, you know, uh, bring that bring Russell Westbrook in. However, if they did, the the amount of engagement we would get on our stories, man, <laughs> selfishly, selfishly, maybe I should want that. <laughs> um, I, obviously, Brogdon would be part of that trade. Where are you coming down on Brogdon? Do you think he's back next year? Or where do you think the Pacers are at with him? He came out and said he's made a home here. He wants to stay. Yeah. What's your reaction to all of that? I think they bring him back, honestly. I do think they bring him back. Um, the weirdest thing about the press conference, or at least what I listened back to uh, from the exit interviews, is him saying, like, he's healthy going into the summer. It's like, like there you have it. Like, you know, you basically weren't hurt these last whatever odd games. Now, we all know why they were doing that, because not, they're not really interested in and, winning games. And I'm sure that was the team's choice, not yeah, Brogdon's yeah, choice. Yeah, exactly. You know, it goes both ways. It's not like he went to them and said, hey, I want to play for this team anymore. Right. Like, it's more of a mutual agreement. Um, I do think they bring him back because um, when he's healthy, he's a good – it's just – to me, it just depends on how much are you going to gamble on a guy who, in theory, hardly ever plays more than, like, what, 50 games a season? Yeah, 55 is about what it yeah, is. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the toughest part. But I do think they bring him back because, like I've always said, the grass isn't always greener, and who can you get in return? Like, I would probably have to think more about that and even look in on my end, like, okay, what – would that entail? Are you just trying to get younger with picks? Are you trying to get an actual good young player back? Um, he's not that old. He should have some pretty good years left in him. Um, but I would, in my opinion, I, I don't see the point in trying to move him now as opposed to maybe coming into the next season, seeing how it fits, and then also, okay, if it isn't working now, you have the trade deadline to kind of figure things out. I see, I can see uh, – um I mean, I, it all comes down to what are you getting back for him, which we have no idea right. of knowing. But what are we going to talk about if we didn't speculate wildly about these things? Mm -hmm. To me, if you can get off his salary because of the injury situation, I think you trade him. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I would even consider not – I mean, would I trade him for a second-round pick? I might, just because I don't have to worry about the injuries anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm getting off $20 million a year. Again, that sort of contradicts what I said earlier in terms of how many free agents can you bring in. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, Pritchard has shown that he can find guys who are useful in free agency for the team um, at that level. We're not mm -hmm. talking about bringing in a, a, one of the big names. We're talking about – bringing in someone, you know, a, a Bogdanovich who got better while he was with the Pacers mm -hmm. um, and became a really good NBA starter. If you think you can do that, I, I think I would just, again, because of the injury situation. I mean, I, you know, 55 games, it's just – to me, it's not enough. No. And, and, again, I, I don't – There's been a variety of things. Like, that's, that's the weirdest and, thing about him. Like, he just has – I mean, he's got just some uh, – I feel like if they put a chart up of everything that's been hurt on his body or whatever he's missing, you could just be looking at a, a diagram of different body parts because that's just kind of how it's what's happened with him. But I do think you make a good point about, you know, trying to maybe move on from Brogdon. And the thing that, that, that interests me and probably intrigues me the most about the possibility of moving on from him is getting the prototypical 3 and D guys in here. The Pacers need more of those. They don't have enough of them. If you look at the NBA, all the teams that are at the top have guys that can – play pretty good perimeter defense and knock down open shots. They do, they do need more shooting. I know Buddy Heald helps with that, but he's not like really a great defender. He's been okay. He's been serviceable. 
However, um, you look at, you know, some of your defenders. You got Tyrese Halliburton, who isn't that great as an on-ball defender. You got Buddy Heald, who isn't that great either. They need some 3 and D guys. And if, in that case, if some guys open up in the market where you're able to get, you know, guys who are the build and, and play style of, a, let's say, like, a, you know, Michael um, Bridges or even, even to a lesser extent like Robert Covington, those types of guys – I believe in what you need around a guy like Halliburton because he's going to create shots. But like we've talked about, their defense has been awful. And I don't know if that really changes much if you keep Brogdon around and just rely on Miles Turner to basically clean up everything. Like you're going to need some defenders to get in here and sit down and guard somebody. Well, I mean, and that's another, I mean, right, uh, another good point. Right now you have Heald, Halliburton, Duarte, Brogdon. That's four guys that are all guards, mm-hmm. really. Now, can you, pl- I mean, Halliburton, Brogdon, um, and uh, Duarte are all mm-hmm. six six. Could one of them play small right. forward? Of course. There, I mean, the the idea that there's a significant distinction between big right. guards and shooting small forwards is kind of silly. Mm-hmm. But is that ideal? I don't think it's ideal, no. like you say. So that's another reason. I, I guess what I, you know, just as we're sitting here talking, I got to think either Heald or Brogdon is not going to be on this team next mm-hmm. year. Just not because I don't think. I mean, they're both really productive, but they're also both probably more valuable to a team other than the Pacers. Mm-hmm. So if you can get something for one of them, I, I think you go in that route. And then it also, I mean, we, you know, the draft pick. Um, so, I mean, again, determines a lot. The determines a lot. The, if you, you know, you, you, there's no, where, where's Ivy playing. If you get, if you were lucky enough to get him yeah. with the current alignment, Again, I mean, it's almost the first thing that needs to be said is until we know what number they're drafting, so much of this stuff is up in the air because if they're picking, um, and we've talked about this before, they're in the fifth slot, but they're almost certainly not picking fifth. Right. So that means they're probably they're either picking there's a there's a better chance that they're going to pick six or seven. It's like forty percent for one through four, and then it's like fifty percent for um, six and seven, and then the five, eight, and nine make up the rest of the Mm -hmm. the ten percent. If if you're picking ninth, it's a t- or even seventh, it's a totally different situation to me with what I know about this draft class than it is if you're picking fourth. Yeah. yeah. And so until we know that, uh, it's really hard to know exactly what's going. to – I mean, and again, we're going to talk about it. Everyone's going to talk about it because it's far more interesting than the season we had. Right. But we, I cannot, you cannot underestimate under. You got to emphasize just how important that lottery number, whatever the ping pong balls come up. What yep. what are they? Um, and that's so much of this offseason revolves around that. What is it, May 17th, I believe, is when May, the lottery is? May so. 17th. And again, I mean, I, it almost, I know everybody loves Ivy. I'm not going to pretend I'm an NBA scout. I, you, you can watch him play and you can see that he could be a great NBA player. I can also point to things that make me say, hey, maybe he's not, mm-hmm. whatever. I think they're better off with one of the three big guys. I think that's just a better match yeah. for them. But if you're picking fourth and Ivy falls to fourth, then then you got. I mean, that's that's the worst thing that happens. That's a heck of an offseason, hey, all, all right there. That's a good problem to have at that point. I mean, you you bring him in, and then at that point, like you said, you bring in Ivy, you can almost book it that somebody's got to move after that. So, and then one more caveat I'll throw in there that you mentioned, like we talk about health. Buddy Heald doesn't miss games. Right. So that, that's one like bonus to keeping him around, like. The guy really does not miss games. I think he played in every game this season except for the one where he got traded, you know, and, and he couldn't play because he was traveling and getting the physical stuff. But he's played in a number of, of consecutive games, um, similar to Justin Holiday, how he was. Um, so, Halliburton, too, hasn't missed a lot of games. Exactly. So that is something to keep in mind if you want to – if you're picking between Brogdon and Buddy, it's like, hmm, if you're going based off of availability, which sometimes is everyone gives a cliche, the best ability is availability – 
he's probably going to be suiting up more often than not. And then again, do you can you? I know another thing to consider is can you keep Turner, who has been injury prone of late, and yeah. Brogdon? I mean, again, that's another thing that you got to look at. Yeah. And I'll, I I always say this. The people out there who think these guys are soft or fra- mm-hmm. I mean, or you know, don't want to play, has that does that happen? I'm sure it does, mm-hmm. but you cannot a- appreciate what it. You don't get to the NBA unless you're a tough guy, unless you want to play. So to say that these guys don't want to be out there or whatever, I always think is totally unfair. Um, there's a playing in the NBA. It's a great job. No one's mm-hmm. complaining about it. You get paid lots of money. They don't. They don't need your sympathy. Um, but you do also have to respect the fact of how big a grind it can be on your body and things yeah. like that. So I, I, I just always try to interject that in these conversations. I, it, I mean, and again, I is mean, it possible? TJ Warren is the perfect example of that. I mean, and this is the guy I do, just real quick, I do think that they probably will bring him back on a prove-it deal. Um, I don't think he's going to get, you know, go out here and get two years. I think he's going to get like one year, you know, $5 million and, and – you know, so if so, it's if you can play again, and I do think that personality-wise, the things that I've heard about T.J. Warren, he more so will be comfortable staying where he is at, as far as personality type, the way he is, his, his, his demeanor. He's not a bright lights, big city type of guy. So to him, I, I think that comfortability, knowing the space he's in, the coaching staff, um, all those things matter a lot to him. And so I would expect him to actually be back. Um, in the offseason. Yeah, I got to th- – I mean, again, we've talked about this before, but I think he would have if, – if he was able to play, which we believe he could have mm-hmm. if he had – if he wanted to, if the team wanted to do, mm-hmm. I think he would have played if he didn't – wasn't leaning that direction. Yeah. Also, totally different situation than Jalen Smith. Some people say, well, why wouldn't Jalen Smith be loyal to the Pacers? It's because the Pacers can offer, like, yeah. a fraction of what he can get, right. and he's only been here for however many weeks. Right. Warren has been paid for two years. Again, he's hurt. I'm not – you know, they don't owe – he doesn't owe anything to the Pacers. He's right. done what he can. But – could I see a player saying, hey, I've been hurt for two years. You paid me X amount of dollars. Do I owe it to the team to come back for one year? I can see a player saying that. Again, I'm not, I don't know TJ Warren enough to say that's what's going on. Right. Right? But I could easily see something like that occurring with any number of players mm-hmm. since it's been two years. Uh, and again, if, if he, everything lines up and he gets one year at $5 million, he's TJ Warren again, he's going to do just fine the following year in uh, free agency. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that seems reasonable. But uh, – all right, let's, we'll wrap it up with uh, a quick uh, segment on David Benner, the, the PR play, person for the um, – ran the PR department for the Pacers. Kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. He's a little bit more out in the, the Reggie Miller stuff. He uh, and Reggie Miller would go sort of nose-to-nose. It was a way to fire Reggie up uh, when Reggie was playing here. So I think David's a little bit better known than a lot of PR folks. Um but he had, was with the Pacers for 28 years, running the PR department. Prior to that, he was with uh, the Indy Star as a beat writer. He was the Pacers beat writer for a while. Um, also covered Notre Dame and IU long before my time. But uh, um, this was your first year on the beat. But uh, just uh, touch base on uh, on David and, and uh, what he did for the Pacers. Yeah, so obviously, like I said, I'm 26. So he's been doing this longer than I've been alive. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, was cool. it was cool to talk to him, um, to get to know him a little bit. Um, he actually knew uh, a Crown Point softball coach, Pete Usage, that I used to uh, work with and cover that team. So it was kind of funny, small world. Um, but reading the story that Dana put out on him um, and having a chance to really like get to know him through that piece and through other pieces I read, um, he seems like a guy who, similar to me, just wants to tell really cool stories. Um, you know, he started off at the, at the Star, 
Um, he's a star alum, so we'll take credit for everything he's done since then. Um, but all jokes aside, I do think that uh, he's had an incredible career. And he, he got in that sweet spot of really being here during the Pacers' glory days. I mean, uh, obviously a lot of people do this for a long time. Um, and a lot of people you have a chance to have some great experiences. But you don't really get a chance to cover, you know, NBA finals and, and, and playoff matchups and things like that where, you know, you're, you're the PR guy or something like that working with the team. And the, on the other side, it's Michael Jordan. It, it's, it's Magic Johnson. You know, it, it's this golden era of superstars. So I do think um, from that perspective, I have a, a, a lot of respect for maybe the way that he went about it. And, and also um, the, just hearing the stuff that he had to handle and also the, how it's uh, shifted. You know, everything now, social media, uh, everything now is, is, is you know, is, is just a lot different. Even the outfits, we were joking about Miles Turner looking kind of crazy. Like there, there's, there's big things that kind of have shifted since he first started. And from what I've heard, from every player, from every coach, um, you know, he's kind of shifted with the times and really held it down for the Pacers. So um, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, he was gracious to me when I first started. Obviously, we only had one season together. But um, DB was really nice to me. Um, I don't know if he was nice to everybody. I don't expect him to be nice to everybody because he really can't be in this industry. But to see how his career kind of unfolded where he was, you know, a copy at the copy desk and then, you know, answering phones and then, you know, uh, doing the Pacers and doing IU and doing – Notre Dame like he had a chance to really cover the glory days of a lot of these programs um and, and to see it kind of get capped off with you know Reggie Miller coming to basically his send-off was really really cool um and Reggie Miller obviously could could run for mayor here and probably win because I mean the guys just loved to still but I, to me the best part about this entire thing was knowing that um hopefully one day I'll have a relationship with players where it's it's more so a respect thing kind of like how he was where you know, a guy like Reggie Miller, who is big time of all big time, um, is willing to show up and basically, you know, wish him well. So that was cool. That was a good experience um, for me. And I definitely gave, uh, you know, DB some, 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 some crap for, I don't know if anybody saw, posted on Twitter, he had like this, they gave us these cookies with his, him and his jersey. And <laughs> he explained the story. I guess he was doing like a white balance or something for like the photographer back then. And he put on one of the players' his jerseys from back in the day. And I told DB, I was like, you're a liar. You were a first-round pick. I said, well, I just went to all the kids now. But um, he was cool, man. He definitely, uh, um, uh, again, shared me a couple of different things just as far as how to go about my business, and, and I appreciate that for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I did a uh, – stories will pop up, and you'll go back through the archives. The most recent one was George Irvine, who was a coach for the Pacers mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, 80s, late 80s, um, died not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he died, I'm looking back – trying to find a story to get a little background on him. Mm-hmm. And it was David Benner who had written the story for the Indy Star uh, when he was hired and had done a profile on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they put the press release, it was actually Chrissy Meyer, so I think, who had written the, and sent out the press release. So I told David it was a shame he hadn't done it because I would have been combining something 30 years apart to write one story, yeah, you know, yeah. two things he had actually written for two different organizations and, and posting that day. Um, so it just shows you the breadth of – um, what he has accomplished, sort of b- mostly behind the scenes here in Indy. Uh, let's finish up uh, tomorrow morning. First thing in the morning, we got a, a story on Tyree Halliburton that's posting. We don't want to give too much away, but you got a one on one with him uh, and just give our listeners a hint of what they can see in the pa- uh, online and in the paper. Uh, actually, it's online Thursday. I don't know when it's running in the paper yet. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do think that you all will enjoy this uh, this quick one on one, unique type of setup that I tried to. 
um, go with this story. And I, the hint I'll give is that it's, uh, it's about Tyrese Halliburton being uh, humbled before um, he became the face of the franchise here in, in Indiana. So um, keep, a lookout on, keep a lookout for that. I think you'll enjoy it. He was pretty, uh, he's pretty like open about you know, things throughout his life, throughout his career. He's a, he's a fun guy. And I think that being on the road and getting to know him a little bit more, I was able to get some, some unique, different types of answers out of him as opposed to you know, typical stuff where he's going to say, you know, uh, I'm happy to be here, you know, excited for the summer, something different. And I think that it's a, it's a unique twist um, as far as getting to know Tyrese Halliburton, the person and player, and, and who he'll be going forward and the mindset he has, why he thinks that way. So uh, it was a fun story. I had a good time talking to him. I think you'll get a laugh out of the first few graphs of the, of the story. All right. This has been the Pacing the Pacers podcast from Indy Star. Uh, it'll be a little quiet uh, in the near future, just because the league doesn't have uh, doesn't want teams doing a whole lot during the playoffs. They want to focus on the playoffs. Um, starting in mid May, uh, the lottery and the NBA combine uh, will ha- will be happening, and we'll be all over that. The Pacers will start bringing in draft picks, possible draft picks uh, around that time as well. Um, and we, I would assume that we're going to see most of the big names, um, especially depending on when they, as long as they get a pick with where they're lined up. Uh, so continue to come to IndyStar.com uh, and uh, we'll have you covered. Thank you for listening.